John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John chapter 11. Oh, you may hear more about it from me soon. The planned obsolescence in our bodies. There's planned obsolescence in every factory in the world because they could always buy more expensive components and put more complicated efforts into what they make so that they would last longer. It's planned obsolescence. Now, Detroit used to plan their obsolescence a little shorter than they do now because there wasn't any competition. But you have planned obsolescence sitting with you in your pew. Do you know where it is? It's right inside you. And it's every part of you. And it's God's plan of obsolescence because we wanted to be obsolete. We wanted to die. We chose death in the Garden of Eden. But there's a day coming in which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to open up heaven and with the power of his voice is going to let us make a trade. And we get to trade in our old bodies for new bodies. And the new bodies are going to last forever. I know the cure for cancer. I know the cure for everything. And it's in the power of him who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yea, Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Thank you, Lord. We get to plant a seed. And when you put a seed in the ground, whether it be an acorn, what comes out of an acorn? Does it look like the acorn? It's an oak tree. If you put a kernel of corn in the ground, what comes out? If it's in Iowa, it's 12 or 14 feet tall, and a small child could climb it. 800 kernels on a cob, and it might have two of those. What comes out of the ground is not what goes in. And so we should look at death like the Bible tells us to look at it as a planting. We get to plant a seed, and what comes out is going to be drastically different, and that's our glorified bodies. That is what the Bible says. Do you know why we're Baptists? Because we're farmers. We believe in planting and something growing. That's why we're Baptists. Because we plant, that's Romans 6, 3 through 5, and up comes something totally different. That is because of our Lord. And he purchased such a guarantee of perpetual motion machine by his death on the cross. We will perpetually be in motion for his honor and glory for eternity because he died on the cross for us. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Let's look at John 11. Are they related? They are related. The Lord arranged the timing. Is the Lord's Supper for us to celebrate his death for our lives? That's what it's for. And so let's celebrate a little bit with the word of God. We, got our, we made our way down to verse 15. And we got to verse 15. Let's stop there for where we covered so far. Where Jesus said, I am glad for your sakes, John eleven fifteen, 15, that I was not there. I'm glad that we were in Bethabara, where John at first baptized 
25, 40 miles away from Bethany, so that Lazarus could die, to the intent that ye may believe. I wanted you to see a real demonstration of who I am and what I can do. And so I needed a dead body. And he got one. And he had been in the grave four days when Jesus arrived. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now let's just think about this for a moment or it'll distract us from the real message. The apostles had just reminded Jesus the reason we're at Bethabara is because they want to kill us at Bethany and Jerusalem. Now you want to go back. Lazarus is dead. Are we going to die with him? You're going to probably die. We might as well die with you. But this kind of faith, when the threat is not in your face, it's easy to say, I can do it. Did Peter try that once? Lord, if everyone else forsakes you, I'll never deny you, even to prison or to death. But that's because there wasn't a threat. When the threat comes, men change. Let us not change. Zach, you and I talked this morning about how we need to help each other in the last hour on our deathbeds because we don't want to change. And we want to help each other that way. Now, Thomas, as soon as the threat appeared, just a few weeks later, what did he and all the apostles do? They ran and fled. This Thomas, he's, we're told that it is Didymus. Both words, one's Hebrew, Thomas is Hebrew, Didymus is Greek, both mean a twin. When he heard that Jesus had appeared to the apostles, he didn't believe them. He said, I won't believe until I can stick my finger in the hole in his hands and my hand in his side. Well, the Lord showed up right then to show him his hands in his side. But this man didn't live up to this commitment because when he got to Jerusalem and then Jesus was put on trial, they all ran and fled. But they were, they were kind of discouraged. They had tried to tell the Lord, don't go to Jerusalem, it's going to be dangerous. And so we have verse 16. And that's all we know about Thomas, and who's called Didymus, in this particular context. Kind of hopeless situation. We might as well die with him. Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, that is to Bethany, he got there where the three lived, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had lain in the grave four days already. Did Jesus know that? Yes. Then how did Jesus find out? Because it was communicated to him and to the apostles that were with him that Lazarus had been in the grave four days. He already knew. He knew that he was going to die. He stayed right where he was to make sure he had been in the ground four days. Verse 18, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. A furlong is how much of a mile? An eighth. So 15 furlongs we can round to two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So these two sisters and their brother were known in Jerusalem. That's why the proximity of the two cities are mentioned, because there were friends of theirs that came from Jerusalem to be with them for their time of mourning. And they're four days into it now. That's verse 19. Now verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. 
Here's a difference between the two girls in this passage, these two women, these two sisters. The Bible does not tell us what conclusions we are to draw about their character from these events. I w- if I knew, I'd tell you. We'll, we'll gather as much as we can from these verses. Martha was usually more efficient than Mary. And so she jumps up and wants to get to the Lord rather than waiting for him. Mary may, may be showing a little more trust in the Lord here by waiting for Jesus to get to her. Mary may be a little more disappointed than Martha and doesn't want to go meet him. We're not told. And so we're not going to judge the women. Martha is not without faith. Martha has faith. Both of the women have faith. Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. That's faith. Because they know now from the facts of the case that it was a fatal sickness. He's dead. And he has been dead for four days. And he died rather quickly from the message being sent to Jesus. They both knew that Jesus was able to keep Lazarus from dying by a fatal disease. So they had faith. So let's not criticize them. One's more aggressive than the other in this particular case. For some reason, the Bible doesn't tell us. Therefore, it's not very important. What's important is that there are two separate conversations. And we want to get the conversation between Jesus and Martha. Because it's right here in our verses that will lead us to the Lord's Supper. John chapter 11 and verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Verse 32 is Mary saying the same words. Second half of the verse. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They knew Jesus loved them and that Jesus loved Lazarus and that Jesus had the power of healing. And they knew even more than that, as they're going to hint as Martha develops her faith. But here we have verse 21. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Though I now know that Lazarus had a fatal sickness, he would not have died from it if you'd been here, because you are stronger than any fatal sickness. That's implied in the words. That's a lot of faith. Jesus would not have loved these women unless they had some faith. Because those who Jesus loves are the faithful. He's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. And so the case is for Martha here. Verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Now that's some pretty strong faith. She's not saying it outright. Lord, will you raise him from the dead? She's implying some confidence in his ability to do that. Lord, I know that even now, what does even now mean? He's no longer sick with a fatal disease. He's dead from that fatal disease. I know that even now, with him dead, with him four days in the tomb, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. That is a lot of faith. The only thing that, we're, that is missing from the context that follows is that she didn't recognize that Jesus had that power independently himself. And that is why the Lord comes out with his power statement. 
I am the resurrection of life. Right. I don't need to ask the Father, Martha. I am the, I am the Father. I and the Father are one. I am the mighty God. I am Emmanuel, God with us. And so that's what we want to lay a hold of. The Lord is bringing Martha along in her faith. Lord, if you'd have been here, you would have healed him so that Lazarus, my brother, the one that you love, would not have died. Step up, another step up. Lord, I know that even now, with him four days dead, if you were to ask God, God will give you his life back. I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Now to ask the man Christ Jesus, would you please raise the dead? Nobody had ever done that. <clears throat> That's pretty bold, isn't it? Yep. She's close. She's very close. She just says it in a rather obscure way. When the nobleman's daughter was very sick and died, and the servants came to inform him, what were the words the nobleman about Jesus? Trouble the master no longer. Your daughter is dead. Because death is the end, right? There's no hope after death. Martha had more hope than that. Even now, if you were to ask God, God can do it for you. The only thing lacking is that standing in front of her was Jehovah right. in the flesh. The fullness of the Godhead in a body. Colossians 2.9 The Word of God that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word made flesh was standing in front of her. The Word that it says about in John 1.3 All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made was standing in front of her. She had missed that to a degree and He is about to fill her in. He does not pray. We're not going to get as far as the tomb. I hope you understand that. He does not pray, Lord, give life back to Lazarus. He just orders Lazarus around, even though he's dead in his sepulcher, wrapped in burial clothes. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Martha has faith. He's just improving it and explaining to her the way of God more perfectly that he didn't need to ask the Father. The Father was already with him. The Father was already in him. And he himself had the power of life and death. But he doesn't go there instantly. He leads us along. Do we sing a song like that? He leads us along. Here's how he led Martha along. Her statement of faith in verse 22 is very good. I know. That's confidence. I know, not I think, maybe, could you? There's no question. I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee, implying resurrection. Why shouldn't she? Do you think she knew about the others? Of course she did. She knew about the other cases. Luke chapter 7, Jesus raised the son of a widow woman off his funeral buyer as it passed by, and Luke chapter 8 is about the nobleman's daughter raising her from the dead. Maid, arise. The girl's just sleeping. And they mocked him to scorn, do you remember? She knew about these events. But now the Lord, what does he do to her in verse 23? I commend your faith. 
No, he didn't say that. He said, thy brother shall rise again. What's she going to do with that? Because that's a wonderful thing. Don't worry, Martha. Lazarus is not gone forever. Your brother will rise again. Was that going to satisfy her? No, it wasn't going to satisfy her, but she shows her faith yet again. Verse 24, Martha said unto him, I know. This is a second I know. We have an I know in verse 22. We have an I know in verse 24. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But even now, Lord, you can do a little more than that, is what's implied there in these connections. The Lord laid out to her, your brother shall rise again. You're referring to a lot of divine power being put forth toward him in your verse 22. He is going to rise again, Martha. Well, I know that he'll rise again in the last day. See, that wasn't a hidden doctrine, was it? Who believed that in the Old Testament? I know that my Redeemer, Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, Job 19. Psalm 49, God will, redeem, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. David understood it. Asaph understood it in Psalm 73. They understood the resurrection from the dead. It was a Jewish doctrine. Which denomination of the Jews believed it strongly? The Pharisees. Which denomination of the Jews denied it? Sadducees. Did the Apostle Paul ever use that to his advantage? Yeah. Yes, by saying that he was on trial for the resurrection of the dead, which made the Pharisees and the Sadducees go to war. While he was on trial, they forgot about him as they went after each other. The resurrection of the dead is taught in both Testaments. There is other places that David refers to it in the Psalms. Martha, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection the last day. She's being, very, she's being tentative with the Lord and not just leaping forward with bold words. She's implied in verse 22, you could raise him from the dead with God's help. I know he'll rise again from the dead in the last day. And this is where Jesus then gives her the wonderful statement. When you look at John 11, you go to the middle of that chapter and there should be a bright beacon of light shining out of verses 25 and 26 and everything else is just the artist painting around these two verses. Even raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth! Those words are not all that special compared to these. Right. Because those words are for Lazarus, which meant that he's going to have to die a second time. Right. How exciting is that? These verses right here are, those that whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, let alone twice. This right here, everything around it is painted in the details for you to appreciate the lesson. Because when he said, I am the resurrection of life, there's a part of us that wants a demonstration of that, and the demonstration is right there, four days dead. Lord, he stinks. He's been corrupting. Four days is too long for a dead body. They don't leave them that long around the ER, do they? Four days, it'd be, it'd be bad. Four days when he asked for the stone to be rolled away. Because a man bound in grave clothes, it's hard to move a stone. 
roll that thing away, and Lazarus came forth. This is a, this is a true event in the history of the founder and the leader of our religion. Amen. This is your Savior. Amen. This can be your friend. This is your friend. He can call dead people to come out of the ground, and they come out. And one shouldn't move you very much, because what's in John chapter 5, Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour cometh in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Every single human body is coming out of the ground, coming out of the ocean, coming out of wherever their ashes or dust or corrupt worm food might be. They're coming out and coming together, and their spirits will be reunited with them by the power of this man. And this man is the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. I don't need to pray the Father. I will do it myself. I don't need to ask God to help me. I don't need to ask God to do this. I have it. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the, and the, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Isn't that what it says? The dead in Christ shall rise because this Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout. Come out! Who's going to resist? What about atheists? They're going to wish they didn't have to come out because they're going to come out and meet their judge. The resurrection of the dead is a preeminent theme throughout the New Testament. The apostles, whenever they preached, they got quickly to the resurrection of the dead. On Mars Hill with Greek philosophers who thought they had heard everything, they wanted to hear from the apostles because strange things have been brought to our ears. What were the strange things? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And do you know what those apostles told those Greek philosophers? God has raised Jesus from the dead to give you evidence that he is a judge that is coming back to wreak vengeance on those that disobey him and do not repent because God is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. That's my Lord. I love him. I want to love him more. I want to help you love him more. I want you to help me love him more. Let's press each other to love him more and more. This Lord that said, I am the resurrection of life. The point being, I don't need my father to do it. I have the power resident in myself, Martha. I don't have to ask God. That's the point. That's the development of her faith. She had faith but she didn't fully understand about the Lord Jesus Christ himself being as special as he was. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I have resurrection power with me that those that believe in me, though they die, they'll live again. I'm going to give life back to their bodies. Their spirits will never die. They shall live with me forever. I am the resurrection of life. This is a subjunctive mood verb when it says there, though he were dead. That is speaking of the, the possibility, the probability, the future certainty of a person dying. 
He that believeth in me, you've got to be alive to be believing, though he were dead, though he would die like Lazarus has died, though like you will die, Martha and Mary, yet shall he live. We're all going to die unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And that is a very small percentage of all of his elect that will be alive when Jesus Christ comes. Those are spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4. Those which are alive remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Because when Jesus comes back, he's got so much power, he goes to the cemetery first. You like that? I like that. He goes to the cemetery first. Because he doesn't need you to be alive to glorify you. He can glorify someone from a cemetery just as fast. And he goes to them first to give us comfort that our dead brothers or mothers will be rescued by the Lord. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead. That terminology is not looking back to vital salvation of regeneration. Do not confuse this passage and make it more complicated and difficult than it is, because it's not that difficult. The context around this on both sides is the resurrection of the physical body. It's not regeneration. Regeneration isn't here anywhere. Why why do we even want to bring that in? Let's just look at a subjunctive mood referring to the possibility or the future certainty of an event that is not true right now. If I were president, I would do this or that. Do you understand that verb there? If I, that's a subjunctive mood. The mood of that verse is not a question. It's not a statement of fact. It's if that possibility were to come to pass, this is how I would conduct myself. If anyone that believeth in Christ... Though he were dead, if I were president, though he were dead, because they're going to die, yet shall he live. Because I am the resurrection and the life. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Shall never die. Lord, those are powerful words. What do you mean shall never die? Any living persons that believe in Jesus truly, truly never die because their spirits go straight to God. Let me give you several ways of looking at that verse. And I'll tell you what my favorite one is. But, you know, sometimes in the Bible, and I, I use these, this term with great care, there is inspired ambiguity. Inspired ambiguity is the Lord leaves it broad enough, open enough, that it includes more than just one limited sense. Because in this case, we have a variety of senses that are all true. Believers never die. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So is your spirit dying? No, you're with the Lord. So whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die because his spirit never dies. His spirit is immediately with the Lord. Any living persons that believe in Jesus never die because their bodies only sleep. Has he used the words that way already in this context to set us up? Did he set us up to understand this right here by using the word death and sleep interchangeably? She'll never die because really you're just going to sleep. That's my favorite. There's more. Any living persons that believe in Jesus never die permanently because the bodies are raised up and given life once again. So death is not permanent. So they don't die permanently. Any living persons that believe in Jesus never die penally 
for there is no condemnation for them. They don't die under the condemnation of sin because Jesus has taken that condemnation away. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. And what does the last verse of Romans 8 tell us? Does it tell us that death cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? So there's no penal death. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.10, Who hath abolished death? How is death abolished since you and I are going to die? In these senses right here. And it's not a penal death of condemnation. It's just to get rid of this carcass so we can get the new one. It's accelerated planned obsolescence for the new one. Any living persons that believe in Jesus never die the second death. For they are saved from it by their names being in the book of life. I hope you love those two verses. Never forget them. Those are two verses to memorize. Those are two verses my brother and I had to memorize when we were single-digit children. Romans 11, I mean, Revel, John 11, verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die in a variety of respects and senses that we can give those words. Amen. Believest thou this? Yes. Dost thou believe? Yes. We don't want to come to the Lord's Supper without believing it. Martha, verse 27, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord. Is that, is that all we can muster? Yea, Lord. Yea, Lord. Yea, Lord. Yea, Lord. Yea, Lord. What a Savior. Amen. We sing hallelujah. What a Savior. Do you believe it? This is why we believe it. He's got this kind of power. He doesn't have to ask God. He is the resurrection and the life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in God shall never die. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Everything centered on the Lord Jesus Christ because God wanted it centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to that aspect and those things that are not under the feet of Jesus, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, that God himself is not under the feet of Jesus Christ because Jesus is subordinate to God. It is one of the key verses you never want to forget dealing with somebody that thinks they can define the Trinity through eternal generation. Right. Hold 1 Corinthians 15, 28. You can, ask, you can say to them, if Jesus was begotten in eternity by eternal generation, then he is subordinate to the Father. Oh no, we don't believe that. The Son is not subordinate to the Father. But the Bible says the Son is subordinate to the Father, and it's 1 Corinthians 15, 28. And see, we know how that is meant because it's Jesus, the God-man, with a human nature as our mediator that is subordinate to God. Jesus is... I can't do this now. You'll trust me next Sunday. Come back for another lesson because we got we got to get to the true sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand it. And don't forget... I shared an email with you this past week for those of you that read far enough and long enough to realize someone didn't want to learn. They just wanted an audience for their convoluted thinking. 
Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You fulfill everything that the Bible said about you from the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 to Shiloh in Genesis 49 to Emmanuel in Isaiah 7 to the mighty God in Isaiah 9, 6. I believe. And that settled that little conversation. And the Lord brought her faith along to understand who her Savior was. And I hope he's brought our faith along to understand who our Savior is. This Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph, are you still listening? I'm going to talk to you for just a second here because I want everybody else to be thinking as well. Joseph, it's this man that can be your friend. This man that can say, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who had been dead four days, Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, came out of that tomb. That man can be your friend. That man is the head of this church. That man, Christ Jesus, is who we love in this church. He can be your friend if you'll be his friend, if you'll believe on him. Jesus came and healed Lazarus, raised Lazarus, healed him from death, raised Lazarus from the dead because he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha and because he wanted to glorify God and glorify himself. If John 11 is left to be just about Lazarus, we miss out. But we shouldn't miss out because it says, I am the, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me. So it includes a great broader audience, you and me. We are the beloved objects of his. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should, but should raise it up again at the last day. Resurrection power of Jesus is ours. I'll raise it up again at the last day. He can be your friend if you'll be his friend. You show that you are the friend of Jesus by keeping his commandments, Joseph. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments. Jesus says to you, honor your father and your mother. Jesus says to you to love your brother. Jesus says to you to do your best in school. If you'll do those things to please Jesus, he will be your friend. He will see you through life he will see you through death. He'll put life back into your dead body and he'll glorify you in heaven. And I speak to all of you. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and cause us to be the friends, the beloved friends of the Lord Jesus Christ.